0: This is Fear at the Top, brought to you by The Music Network. I'm Luke Gerges. And I'm Poppy Reid. And today we welcome Kristen Graziani, president of STEM, the distribution company which had just closed a $250 million fund to pay advances to artists, and he's home to artists like P. Diddy and Australia's very own Fisher. Kristen, welcome.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast here in LA as well. We're at the PMC Studios which is obviously the parent company for a few titles that we operate, like Rolling Stone and Variety. But let's get into it. Explain STEM for the uninitiated.
2: Yeah, Um, so STEM is a distributor in the music space. We distribute a lot of independent artists, a lot of independent labels, some of which are up and coming, others are more established, like Diddy, for instance.
1: Very established, yes. Uh, and what arms of the business are there? Like, what's, I, I know that you talked about STEM having two major parts to the business too. Yep.
2: So we have um, the bread and butter, which is STEM distribution, which is distribution services as well as technology. And then we have a new venture that we launched this year called Tone, which is royalty calculation, beautiful visualization and insights layer, and a payout mechanism that a lot of labels that are not distributed by STEM and artists that are not distributed by STEM use to process their royalties.
1: Very cool. And I want to get into the financial model and how all that works later, but let's start with you
2: telling your story. I want to know how you came to be president of STEM. Yeah, Um, I would say it's a little bit untraditional. Um, I didn't enter the music space until later in my career. Um, I spent most of my career in the venture-backed startup space building revenue teams and client experience teams for two different businesses. One was in fashion and one was in um, talent and recruiting. And I met my now partner about 18 months after she started the business. We met, like when people ask that question, I have to think back. So she was actually a client of one of the businesses I worked for. A few few friends of mine invested in STEM and there's just a lot of people in like the same orbit and I remember her pitching what the vision for STEM was, which is we wanted to get artists paid faster and get them paid in a way that makes more sense. And she was explaining the application, and I just thought, this is a, a very smart woman. Um, and we stayed in touch over the years, and um, 18 months after that, I joined. Um, and here we are today, six 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 and a half years later. And what's your deal structure like? like? Do you have skin in the game? Uh, Yeah, uh, actually, all of our employees do. I think it's how we um, retain all the right employees. Um, So, yeah, everyone has equity. They're um, kind of everyone's driving towards the same outcome collectively, which helps motivate people and keep them here. That's a very cool business model. I like that. And it's kind of an American way of doing things,
1: right? It's not so common um, back where we're from in Australia and New Zealand.
2: Yeah, and it's actually like not very common in the entertainment space. Super rare. Mm. Um, there are companies now that I think are starting to implement similar practices. Um, I think Range Media actually does that now, make sure all of their employees have um, equity and, you know, they're there for the long haul. Love that. I feel like the, the tech boom would have started it, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably like venture investment in music that, that started that. Yeah, the crossover there.
0: And, and so can you clarify what is – there are a lot of different streaming platforms, like uh, providers out there, distribution partners, Orchard, Believe, yeah. uh, Fugar, You know, what is the difference? Like what is STEM doing that's different to everybody else?
2: Yeah. I think it's hard because distribution is like very commoditized. And what I would say at like the highest level we're doing differently or at the highest level why it's working for us right now is because we're sitting in this really boutique space Where, unlike the major labels, we're not necessarily chasing market share. Um, And we're signing artists and signing labels really slowly and intentionally. Um, We're saying no like 99% of the time when amazing artists are knocking on our door. And we're staffing the team around the artists correctly.
0: Why are you saying no? Can't you just provide? Yeah, because most distribution companies, it's just it's tech, so right. you just upload and go. So there is no real no with anybody else.
2: To us, I think it's like a capacity game, because um, at the end of the day, the real bottleneck is the editorial teams at like a Spotify, an Apple, a Deezer, a SoundCloud. All of these platforms, like they have limited bandwidth, and for better or for worse, these playlists are still curated by hand in many cases. And when you're knocking on the door with hundreds of releases each week, you're just not going to get the same coverage. When you're knocking on the door with three to five releases within each genre, you're going to see so much more success. And that at the end of the day, unfortunately, is a lot of the value we provide is how uh, effective those commerce teams are. So saying no to us is like it's about how we scale our uh, call it like capacity and make sure that when we're taking on an artist, there's enough people at STEM to properly service
0: that. So then how do you... So, so to your question, like, yep. it's not
2: just tech, right? It's, it, because the tech can scale and it should scale. Um, but the services, in order to properly be able to attend to something, you need, you know, the right team size around it.
0: And your deals with artists, do you provide artist services to everyone you sign? Or is it a yeah. different mix for different artists?
2: So right now, I think one of the other reasons why we're, um, we're winning is the offering's super consistent. So when we take on an ex-major label artist that has a built-in fan base that's really well-known or we're taking on the artist that's maybe starting from ground zero that we know their manager, the music's incredible, and they're, like, positioned for success, they're getting the same exact services.
1: So is there a genre that you're largely saying yes to right now based on what you know is kind of working at streaming services? I've had this chat with <clears throat> Selena Ong at South by Southwest Sydney. Yep. Um global head of editorial for Spotify. Yep. And she was telling me about certain trends, countries where things are like popping off and then certain genres that are popping off. And she talked a lot about how there's certain uh, genres, not in English language that are going to overtake totally um, what we listen to in English language. So yeah. Is there any like specific genre of music that you're looking to bring on
2: board? So right now I think we have five heads of different genres and it's all the commercial genres. And essentially, there's probably like equal investment within that. So um, hip hop and R&B, country, indie, alternative, rock, pop, electronic. We have not really properly stepped into the Latin market yet. Um, We have our eye on what's going on with Africa and how can we build there. But I think we have been uh, intentional to not expand geographically too quickly we want to make sure we have the right uh call it like subject matter expert to go into that market so similar to the spotify model as well they they make sure that they
1: have someone on the ground that understands that subculture exactly yeah very cool
0: it sounds super resource intensive which um is a service that the other distributors offer, but it's rarer. Like they'll mostly be software and then they'll pick and choose which artists they over-service. sounds like you're servicing everyone. Does that mean you charge more or you take a bigger cut than those competitors?
2: It ranges. Um, when we are signing artists that need a large tech, the cut is can be really substantial. It could be upwards of 40 to 50%. If we're working with artists that um, are not taking money and they're funding their own project, it can be as low as 10%. So there's quite a range there. And but the you, package in and of itself is, is similar.
0: And you will still service an artist as much who's on a 10% versus
2: 50%. Correct.
0: The, the, so the core difference there is how much money you guys are putting up yourselves, not how much time you're putting up. Exactly. Okay. And how long are the deals? I typically go for
2: the shortest deals we would do would be a year long licensing deal. Could go as far as five years.
0: You you have got this uh you you've got this service based distribution business which is curated. It's not just it's almost, it's not like a platform, I guess, like the other ones. Correct. Um, and you've just recently secured, um quarter of a billion dollars from uh victory park capital yep um which congrats
2: I, thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> which i uh which you're using as a fund to pay these advances to artists yeah so i'd like to really get into the economics of that deal with with the investment firm and how what they're getting out of it and how that arrangement works
2: yep so we started advancing artists in 2020 we had a firm uh out of new york called coventure and that was like our first step into making these deals Was Um, that a COVID-19 reaction? Because I think of 2020 and I think of our music industry and I think, oh, God, it was so bad then. It was um, a reaction to losing a global superstar. So we at the time were um, working with Remus, which is Bad Bunny's label. Um, And the label was growing organically. The artist was on a crazy trajectory. Um, And when we lost the artist, it churned and signed with Sony um the next day we went out to market and said we need to get a facility where we can advance artists so we're not in a position to lose artists like
0: and you lost him purely based on you didn't have a A lot of cash yeah so if you had the cash you would have kept him
2: no we yeah we can we can we can say that yeah
0: that's fucked all right cool i got it (laughs) yeah thanks
2: um so started advancing artists in 2020 um and then recently refinanced with this partner victory park and essentially. Uh, victory park is allowing us to advance artists for longer periods of time so what that means is that we can write larger checks um, and get more competitive there i think unfortunately one of the main reasons why artists sign to a label or to a distributor is around check size and while um, we hope that that will change over time it's still very much a reality
0: and are you paying this investment firm an interest rate, or are you giving them a return on that investment over yeah. ten years? How does that work? Yeah,
2: there's there's interest, um, always something that we're obviously trying to drive down, so we can create the most competitive deals. But I think, relatively yeah. speaking, um, when looking at how expensive capital is generally, like we still can get competitive and structured deals that um, are ultimately putting more hands into more money into the hands of the artist over a period of time. And a lot of our artists are call it like beginning to adapt and understand how our model works and they're coming to us and they're taking checks that might only last them for a year it'll recoup within a year and that that means we can write a check that is much more favorable as it relates to the rate if that's something that they care about if they're price price sensitive there
0: is your interest rate variable or is it fixed on the deal it's fixed
2: there's it's fixed to some degree it's also based on SOFR.
0: yeah okay so the way you would be thinking about how much how, – how you're advancing artists is, will this artist return greater than the interest I'm paying on this advance?
2: So I think the way we're looking at it is still, unfortunately, mathematical. So it's not – we're not in a place where we can take bets. It can be the best music in the world, but we still need to look back at the historicals and um, underwrite accordingly we'll say, okay, the last five albums performed in this way and we can assume that the next album will be able to perform in this way. There's some qualitative factors that we can factor in. um, And I think we're getting better and better at doing that with kind of adding more dimensions to it and making it a little bit more sophisticated. Um, But essentially we are forecasting how long it will take for um, it to recoup with the additional fee on it. And it kind of maxes out at that five-year point.
0: So it's it's pretty much an asset investment with an expected return as opposed to artist development budget where you're like, you've got this brand new artist, they need a couple hundred thousand dollars. Hopefully it goes well. That's it's, that's not it. That's not it. It's Go not ahead. it
2: today. I think there's a, a world in the future where we bring on another partner that has different risk tolerance um, and the economics look differently there. And we can start taking bets um, based more on, the quality of the music um, and other qualitative factors.
0: And I guess that is the still like the the core distinction I'm seeing between distributors and major labels in that the major labels are still doing the speculative investments, the big bets. Yep. Hopefully this person becomes the next Rihanna. Um, whereas I'm not aware of any distributor taking significant development investment risk.
2: Yeah, there, I think um – AWOL prior to it being acquired by Sony was playing in that space a little more. They were signing early artists early on. Um, and in some cases, you know, without much, not look, being able to look back at historicals. The and
0: checks were never meaningful. They
2: were never, they weren't multi million dollar
0: checks. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I guess it's running two ways. And so if you've got a legacy artist like Diddy um, who just knows how much money he's going to make. Totally. He just wants to put out the record, talk to his audience yep. and move on. Um, then that makes sense for that artist. Yep. It makes This model makes a lot of sense. Yep, If you are a super young artist who, you know, only has had maybe a few songs on the radio, but you're still very early days in your career, then you probably do need to go to a major and get that larger investment when you haven't got the track record of revenue.
2: I think that could be the case in... in What we're seeing happen more and more is there's, uh, you know, artists that are coming to us with willingness to invest in their early projects. We have managers that come and co-invest and there's ways to do it. I think um, one of the things that works well with our model is once it gets started, you have the ability to continue to draw down. So there will be artists that will come to us and say, you know, we need a modest marketing fund. Um, And once we begin to work with them, we're able to kind of inject those smaller infusions um, and work with them in that way.
0: And so what's on the roadmap for STEM? You've obviously got this fund for investing in artists. Are you looking at raising a fund to invest or acquire record labels or even start venture and invest in music tech? Like, where is it going?
2: So I think we want to be in a place where we have a comprehensive capital stack in a future world, we could be investing in artists and labels at all these different stages in their career and their development. And I think each, call it like box of capital, would have different underwriting parameters, just different uh, risk thresholds. And if we structure it correctly, we can have competitive deals that are within each of these boxes. And an example of that would be like an artist that gains really quick uh, TikTok traction and the growth rate was kind of um, we, we were not unable to anticipate it when we first underwrote the deal. We want to be in a place where we can say, OK, let's predict um, that this artist will continue at this trajectory and be able to offer them a deal that's competitive there. We also want to be in a place where we can invest in a lot of these managers and labels who are starting from the ground up. They're experienced a but they don't necessarily have catalog that comes along with it. Um, and we think that we can provide them the capital as well as, like, the out-of-the-box tools to run their label. Um, and if we have the right capital to invest in it, then they can keep, you know, their business within our ecosystem.
0: And so when's the roadmap for that? When do you think that'll start rolling out? I
2: think the time is now. Um, oh. I think, it, you know, we, we got STEM specifically to profitability, which opens up a lot of options for, for us. And I think there's a lot of great internal conversation about where we can take it. And as long as we time it correctly with the market and and execute on it in the right sort of sequence. When did
1: profitability happen?
2: It actually happened a lot um, earlier than expected, something we're proud of. Um, We set out to achieve it um, actually in 2024 and we're able to hit it this year, the middle of this year.
1: Would you say it's largely thanks to that venture capital deal you did?
2: I would say it's largely... I wouldn't say it's um, tied to that. No, that kind of came out, um, call it after... Um, It's largely tied to um, us bringing on a lot of amazing executives this year that are just experts in their space across different genres and their ability to sign some incredible artists and work those artists and um, kind of uh, exceed our expectations there. So good. So it's, it's
1: hiring high performers essentially. Is there a specific characteristic that all of your high performers have within the business? That's
2: a great question.
1: And I would, actually, I would actually like to ask that to you, Luke, as well, because we're obviously a business that only
2: wants to work with high performers. Yeah.
1: And I'm trying to think of the characteristic that all of our high
2: performers have. Yeah. I don't think it's one. Um, let me think about this. I mean, one of the things, this is not a uh, directly answering your question, but I would say, like, if you ask any folks that are at STEM, the hiring process is, like, incredibly um, comprehensive they spend time with people across the entire business. We ask people to do like work samples um, and present like their plan on how they'd launch the market or their plan on how they'd sign top tier artists. Um, and we've uncovered, I would say like a lot of, uh, a lot from that um, and that's one of the ways in which I think we've brought on great people. I wanna think more about your question though, if there's one characteristic. I think it's maybe it's just commitment, um, Just dedication like grit um are some of the things that come to mind when we think about when I think about our team
0: yeah the at the brag media we have this thing we call the brag bible which we send to everyone before they sit in an interview with us and it's effectively says you need to have these are our two values um and they're to one of them is passion for success. So be absolutely passionate that you will do everything you fucking need to do to, to be successful at your role, your KPI, your job, whatever it is. Like don't, you know, it's it's like stop at nothing yep. until you've achieved that. Absolutely. Took the words out of my mouth.
2: People stop at nothing.
0: Exactly. And then the other one is integrity. So yep. do what you say you're going to do all the time yeah. without exception. Yeah. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Yeah. And I think um, people, we have to let staff members go if they're not crazy passionate and they don't kind of do er- – they don't stop at nothing to yeah. achieve their goals or they're just kind of a little bit unreliable. Yeah. You know, either of those two things, no good. It's um, also
1: a great sense checker for anyone coming into the business. They read this brag Bible. They see exactly what our culture is like. They see what our values are and some of them go, oh, that's just not the yeah. structure. I mean.
0: Too much. It's not too much out. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're like – I find that most people don't work in an envi- don't work well in an environment like that. Yeah. But the few that do fucking love it. Yeah. And also, I feel like if you are a high performer yourself, you're super passionate about what you do. You've got a lot of integrity. The last thing you want is the person sitting next to you to not have the same passion and not have the same integrity. So it's like super hard to retain high performers if there's weak links around. Like high performers just want to work with high performers. Yep. And so I think that's. What we've really honed in on, probably over the last few years, and that's something that we we really focus on. Yeah,
2: we that's the thing that I probably spend the most brain power on is thinking about how do we retain all these various employees that are just so valuable, um, and a lot of them took many years to recruit, and it's all about how long can we keep them in the building, keep them happy, and keep them motivated.
1: We have a f- we have a few of those. Yes. Years in the making. Yeah, 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 definitely.
2: So if I'm an artist or if
1: I'm a manager and I'm listening to you right now and I'm hearing about how your business takes a very curated approach to who you work with and how you work with them and it's extremely relationship-driven when you think of, like, how you're getting artists playlisted and things like that, I would love to know about the financial tools that you use. You know, what are are the – or um, royalty splits look like?
2: Uh, and then what kind of platforms do you use in order to do it? Yep. So for STEM, um, it was actually the first distributor to bring any sort of splits technology to market. Um, my partner was eight years ago, was solving her own problem of how do we split um, revenue on the back end of YouTube? She was working with a few creators that were making music and um, there's no way to do it. Um, You're and talking
0: about splitting between the people that have written the song or produced the song t- together, could,
2: it could be in any which way. It could be people could that are collaborating, like, right? Whatever yeah. it is, collaborating on a piece of content. Could be the
1: video of Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande singing a cover of Crowded House's um, "Don't Dream It's Over." Yep, just live, like yeah.
0: And then you, and then all those people that have a stake in that song get automatically split out.
2: Yep. Okay. So, stem um, before the version of stem we're talking about today was essentially this tool, this application of splitting revenue in the back end. Now, if you look at almost every distributor out there, they have a version of splits. We've taken that a little bit further on the STEM side. And now we're doing um, pretty basic recoupment where you can program in line items and line items are recouped and everyone can see um, when they're going to get paid next. Um, And then...
0: Hang on, hold the phone. Yeah. Is that a tool that Anyone can use, even if they're not distributed with you, as a SaaS product.
2: So that tool, the the STEM technology, is only for distributed artists and labels. Okay. The Tone product, which we brought to market this year, which is much more sophisticated royalty processing, visualization, and payout. That is for any artist that's large enough or label that's not distributed through us can use that. That is a SaaS product. Yeah.
0: Anyone can sign up for it and pay the fee, to use it.
2: If they're the right size, yeah
0: what's the minimum size
2: Mm, i think right now we're probably orienting around i want to say like three hundred thousand in top line streaming revenue annually
0: and you get paid a percentage of that revenue or do you just take a monthly fee
2: there's both there's two different models there's one that is based on the number of contracts and the number of payees and the other um is percentage based okay percentage off the top so that is the product that you know is is used by these entities to to process and visualize.
1: So you were very much ahead of splits and very much ahead of you know getting artists paid when it comes to this stuff. What is the next thing that you think artists and managers need to be paying attention to, schooling up on right now?
2: So a lot of our investment in STEM on the tech side is really around uh, data capabilities. So we have deals with a lot of the streaming platforms where we can access their APIs, get all the various data points there. We visualize them into our STEM dashboard. We actually have an additional tool that allows us to do more sophisticated visualizations, um, a product called Periscope, where we can actually... um, uh, call it like format dashboards that are relevant to the manager as a stakeholder, the artist as a stakeholder, the label as a stakeholder. So they can see this information more in real time. It's like the trending data, some call it performance data, marketing data that updates daily. Our, the STEM team specifically like lives and breathes this data so they can make decisions on where to invest, what's working, what partners to plug in and out. And uh, we're sp- spending a lot of time with these managers and labels, educating on them on how to use that as well. That is very, very, very cool. And then
1: you kind of knew what was happening around Spotify and monetization and stuff before everyone
2: else. You were telling us right before we sat down. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah. Um, there's many things happening. There's a lot of conversation. Um, a few weeks ago there was um, something that hit the press around upcoming changes that Spotify is making um, that, in my opinion, were a long time coming. Um, there was a little bit of a speculation around it being harmful for uh, call it emerging artists. But in reality, a lot of what they're doing is just kind of preempting. Do you want to
0: just explain the headline? Tell us what the headline is.
2: What is the headline?
0: thousand. You, you can't, uh, you're not going to get paid until you first have a thousand streams on your song. Is that the, what we're talking about? Or we talk we about can talk about
2: that. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's a few <laughs> different changes. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah, there's a few different buckets. Um, but I think the one, yeah, that's probably the most uh, controversial, the most there, there's kind of the most uh, questions around is the minimum threshold, which your artists are not going to get paid until they hit a uh, streaming pr- threshold of 1000 um, within a calendar year.
0: And why are artists upset about that?
2: I think artists were upset about it initially because they didn't understand what the threshold was going to be. Threshold of 1,000 streams is probably less than $3 um, in aggregate, and most distributors or labels are not going to pay out $3. It's going to sit in the distributor's bank account. They're going to be able to collect on all of these $3, which are going to probably add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars that they can collect interest on. Um, So in this case, there's... um, you know, little to no negative impact for emerging artists.
0: And what is Spotify's motive for putting in that threshold?
2: Um, I think there's a lot of people that are able to game the system, right? Like you could set up bots that are setting up artist accounts that are essentially spamming songs that are getting all of these micro payments that are adding up to something, but it's not real music. Um, And this is just one way, one of many ways they're going to be deterring this sort of behavior
0: do we have any insight into how much money spotify is going to save from this
2: it is i think in the next five years close to or i guess spotify is not saving it right spotify is being able to redirect this money to real artists
0: so they're not they're not they're not making any savings
2: no there's no there's no savings they're putting it back into the royalty pool okay um so this and there's a few other mechanisms at play and if everything's implemented correctly, I think in the next five years, it could be close to a billion dollars added to the royalty pool that would then benefit all of these career career artists.
0: So who is the one pushing the agenda on why this change should have happened? Who, who stands to benefit the most from it? If Spotify aren't saving any money, who, who's making more it's, money? It's, that, I think
2: it's, it's the artists, the, the labels, the distributors that are actually like working and, and developing
0: but aren't them aren't the distributors going to lose out cuz now they can't sit with all these $3 So designs. the long
2: tail distributors are are definitely um I guess stand to lose here. There's yes. always going to be.
0: So I feel like the majors are better off. Yep. The as you said the long tail distributors yep. who just collect who have any artists like and a a platform like TuneCore who literally any man with sure. his dog can can have their songs distributed on TuneCore. They're going to end up worse off financially. Sure. And I find it super interesting that the narrative is being pushed that this is bad for artists by those companies. It's like, well, yeah, you said, if you're only making $3 a year, the artist isn't going to fucking notice that anyway. So, yep.
1: But that was before we found out what the threshold was. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Some, probably. When, the, when the rumor was circling, people I, were been, worried I've, about I've,
0: what. I, the... I look at my social feed and there's a lot of people arcing up about it. <laughs> still, are, still. They're that staying that was, the course. Yeah. <laughs> I find it so. People just buy into the narrative of the starving artist and. Look, it's even. I've even seen with you know, um, with uh, Bandcamp having a new owner now, and mm-hmm. everyone's just, you know, oh, the artist, the artist, the artist, and it's like, no. If you actually look at what's changed, totally. Either artists are, it's going to be artists who aren't making any money anyway that's going to be affected. Yep. Or. It's actually going to be better for the majority of artists. And these changes are actually going to improve the platform. It's happening in Spotify's case. It's going to improve the platform. It's going to be less bots, less manipulation. The artists that are actually making real money will make more money. It's all that going in the pool. Totally. Um, And so I think the starving artist narrative is just something that people so blindly jump on without actually looking at the detail of it. Um, And I find that so interesting when it comes to music tech because it rarely is the actual artists themselves pushing those narratives. It's it's everybody else that's benefiting from those artists that are manipulating the story. And we work in media. We know how it works. Yeah, well said. Yeah.
1: So how's the company going to evolve over the next few years? Obviously, you're a future thinker. Obviously, you've been ahead of the curve in many points, um, not just with STEM, but across your career. Yep. So what is the future of distribution and how is STEM going to lead the charge?
2: Yeah, I think it's understanding what the right um, services, as well as tools, the artists, the managers and the labels need. Um, Thinking ahead, but not too far ahead. So not necessarily like pre- prematurely investing um, in things that the artists and the managers aren't asking for today. So we want to Don't close. do want to be Napster. <laughs> Remember how that worked out for them? Yeah, we all do. <laughs> um, Don't want to be too ahead of your time. Exactly. Um, and we talk about that a lot internally. And, and we, what, what we really want to do is just close the gap on what the needs are today. So we talked about financing. It's how do we develop a more comprehensive financing stack that can um, provide artists the capital they need for the whole duration of their their career. Um, On the tool side is, are we making sure that we're integrating with the right platforms so that we can get the right data into the hands of our marketing team and their marketing team? On the services side, it's um, how do we go further into the, the international territories? We service... I think the uh, Eastern and Western Europe really well. We've started to develop great partnerships um, in various international territories. But what are the right markets to actually have people on the ground in to be able to service correctly? So there'll be investment there coming up.
0: What markets are you looking at first?
2: It's a great question. Should I answer? Should my answer be Australia? Because I'm sitting with you guys.
0: No, it shouldn't be unless it's true.
2: Ask me that in a few months.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: I love what you said about the financing side of it as well because. I think the industry has changed and I think I have a lot of conversations with artists and I remember 10 years ago, they're like, yeah, I just want to be the next Taylor Swift or I want to be the next Justin Bieber. And now the conversations have moved from I want global fame um, and to be an idol to I just want to live off of my music and have a sustainable
2: career. Yeah, it's cool to to begin to see that shift.
0: So let's talk about STEM as a business. So you've obviously raised this fund for artists and... You make revenue off that, of investing that capital. Yep. Um, where is STEM at? You said they're profitable. Have you raised venture money to date? Like where are you at in terms of your growth cycle? Yep.
2: So we've raised venture money to date. I think it's been great because it enabled us to hire all these expensive executives and, you know, these, these various, call it like subject matter experts. Um, it's enabled us to hire great engineers that have, um, you know, helped us bring the product like Tone to market. I think we're now at a point where we're in control of our own destiny um, and we can take the time to think about what does future funding look like and kind of what route we want to take there.
0: But you're a venture-backed business that, and you are um, already profitable, yep. which is actually STEM
2: fantastic. businesses. That's, yeah, that's to probably top 1% of companies or there whatever. Yeah.
0: What is the strategy, exit strategy? Is it public? Is it acquisition?
2: I think we want to build a really big music group with all the right tech and all the right services. And I think that's, that takes a long time to build. So I don't think there's an immediate exit strategy. It's about building something sustainable that the market needs and um, adapting to the market as well, like based on you know, what, uh, how funding looks in the future.
0: But your venture partners must have some sort of return expectation. Sure. So is that, a, is that a short-term let's go public in the next five years? or is that a we need to get we need to exit or are they are they non-traditional venture investors a lot of them
2: are along for the ride i think which is cool especially some of the new guys that have come in um and some of the um points we've talked about recently i think it's really about making sure um we're uh, we're creating something of value that can be valuable today and valuable in 10 years from now depending on when we want to press the the eject button there
0: all right so Tell me, Kristen, we always end every podcast. This is a fucking, you're an, you've built an incredible business. Like what you guys have done is amazing. It's a very competitive space. The fact that you're really carving your own here is just so remarkable and it's a credit to you and your team. Like, I think it's, it's actually really inspiring. I want to ask you, uh, two things as we leave. What is the thing you are most proud of? And then share with us the biggest mistake you've made as an executive and what we can learn from it. Okay.
2: Um, the thing I am most proud of is certainly the team that we've built, the people that we've been able to bring on. Um, some of the people that have been along for the ride for now five, six years, and others are new people that we have been able to bring on with new investment um, that have been in the music space for many, many decades. Um, and it's about like, how all of these people have come together, how we've structured the team, and how that team delivers for artists every day did you frame it as the biggest mistake
0: yeah what's the biggest fuck up you made so that we can learn from it
2: yeah i would say um the time it took for us to realize our position in the market in the distribution market so when we started this um business when we had the uh, splits technology and we had literally thousands of artists on the platform we had Uh, your cousin in Ohio and we had artists like Frank Ocean and it took us years to figure out where exactly we wanted to sit and we talked a lot about ripping the band-aid off and going upstream
0: upstream being closer to Frank Ocean and less from less Ohio correct and
2: we we made that choice and it was the middle of 2019 Um, but I guess the mistake would be yeah the time it took so making decisions faster think would be the takeaway
0: what were you mainly wrestling with you just didn't know whether you wanted to be a long tail company or a curated company i think
2: at the time i mean if we rewind um like making a choice like that in a way felt like we were alienating the developing artist community when we did that there's so much backlash it was like pretty nasty i have like screenshots of like things from the media and emails that were sent
0: um, how, sorry how did how did they know that you just stopped signing ohio kids we moved uh it was
2: like 90 percent of the artists we had off the platform
0: oh so you actually just released them
2: uh we didn't we we did it in a way that uh, we were able to move their content to another distributor yeah. TuneCore. we like handled that with great care and we continued to, to pay people out but we didn't invest in them further yeah as it relates to their services you,
0: so so was there a cost to your business keeping them on the platform
2: yeah. Um, and it's a lot of that cost, too, is just like the trade off around time spent and what we were talking about in the beginning around um, there, if there's hundreds of releases going through your pipes, there's it's still distracting from the, you know, the few a week that we should be properly working. Um, so there's like a uh, an intangible cost there.
0: Kristen you you're, you're a beast this is uh this is a really inspiring business you've built i can't wait to personally go and play with the technology i'm gonna i'm gonna you know we only just met um I, I must admit stem's very new on my radar and it shouldn't be i um i look forward to playing with the technology i hope um any australian executive artist manager um or record label who has u.s aspirations contacts you um and, uh, and you do a lot more work with a lot more Australians and New Zealanders and other countries in APAC uh, a lot more here because, um, you know, our, our region punches above our weight. We export really well. So um, having good partners in America is something everyone is always looking for. Yeah. So, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks
2: for having me.